Good morning, Redeemer. <laughs> Welcome back, Browns. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. Thank you on behalf of the men. I'm sure they already said Happy Mother's Day. So I'll just say it again. Happy Mother's Day. We, um, we don't generally stop what we're doing in order to do a Mother's Day sermon. I seriously considered it. Um, but we're actually doing a family series in June, and one of those sermons is called Militant Motherhood, um, which it sound, it's going to be exactly like it sounds. So uh, I was also reading him for that this week, so I was even more inspired to do a mom sermon. But it would have been like how the, mo- you know, the church is the mother of us all, and it would have been horrible. So I'll just talk about motherhood next month when we do our family series. I'm looking forward to it. But for now, we're still in Mark. We're still in Chapter 7. One of the reasons I also didn't want to do one is because it's taken us forever so far to get to Chapter 7. <laughs> so we got to get on task here. So this is a sermon that is a follow-up from last week. Last week, um, in, in Chapter 7, back in verse... Uh, one or and two, there was a question that was put to Jesus by the Pharisees, and and he answered the question sort of, um, but he he had a lot to say to them in order to prepare them for his answer. And so this week we're actually getting to the answer. They asked him a question about defilement. Why are you letting your disciples eat with unwashed hands and be defiled? So the question they had for him was about what makes you defiled. And he, he rebukes them about following the traditions of men. He rebukes them for having hard hearts. He calls them hypocrites, play actors. They're, they're not really concerned for true piety. They're really not. So, so he has a lot to say, and, and that's what we covered last week. This week, he actually gets to the answer about what defiles you. What makes you defiled? Is it, is it what you put in you that makes you defiled? Is, is, is really... Not washing your hands, does that really make you unclean in, in, a, in a spiritual sense? So that's what he's going to be talking about today. Defilement is still on their mind. So before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, day to celebrate mothers. We thank you even more for, for this day to come and celebrate you. We thank you for our wives. We thank you for our moms. We thank you, Lord God, for this day to uh, hear you and to praise you and to, to um, open your word, to draw near to you. We know that you are a God who does not stay far away, and, and we know that you are present here. And we pray, Lord God, that as we have come here and you are here, may we have sweet fellowship together. Uh, may, may you not take it easy on our sins. May you not um, speak false words of comfort to us now, but true words of comfort. True words of life, true words that we need to hear so badly. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not going to have a lot of introduction because we're, we're still sort of right in the midst of this, of this conversation that's already going on. As, as I've already said, there's the Pharisees. They're in the bushes watching Jesus and his disciples and what they're doing and not doing. And what the disciples are doing or not doing has drawn them out into conflict with Jesus. Previous to this, right, Jesus fed the, the 5,000, and, and he then went into the midst of Gentiles, and he's healing them. He's, he's having fellowship with them. He's sitting at the head of a table. And this last week was their question, who are you sitting at the head of this table, and what is it that you're teaching? Well, he dealt with them to a certain extent. He's done talking to the Pharisees now. He's done talking to the Pharisees. 
What Jesus has to say next was too important to be restricted to simply the scribes or the Pharisees or even his own disciples. He, this, is, this is how you know what he's teaching, right? It's so, so, so important to everyone because he, he's not just talking to his disciples. He's already spoken to the Pharisees, but now it says in verse 14 and 15, he called the people to him again. He called everyone together. He's like, listen, I'm going to talk now not about play-acting piety, not like these Pharisees who are a bunch of actors. I want to talk to you about what real piety is. So please, let's have a family meeting. Let's get everybody. And this is what he says to them. Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. He's still talking about defilement. But he says something here that <laughs> couldn't have been more controversial to the day. What, like if, if what is inside of me is what defiles me and not what's outside of me, why, why do we have to wear clothes made of two different threads? Right? Let's go back to the ceremonial law. Let's go back to Leviticus. Let's look at what are you talking about? It has nothing to do with what's outside of me. It has everything to do with what's outside of you. And this was the problem that again and again and again and again and again, Israel just could not get their heads around. All of this other stuff is a type. All of this other stuff is poetry. All this other stuff is enacting something externally to teach an internal truth. When you take a lamb and you put your hands on it, you're supposed to say, this is me. This is me, an adulterer. And then you slit its throat. Right? If, if you make it all about externals, you totally miss the point. You're putting your hands on this animal to kill this animal because you deserve to have your throat slit. It's as simple as that. You, you take that and you, and you clean it up. You clean this animal. You wash it up. You put it on this altar. And then you light it on fire. Because that's what you deserve is hellfire. And then what happens? Well, it turns into smoke, like everything that burns. Well, what is God? His presence is what? A giant cloud. A giant pillar of smoke. And so the animal that you've slain, that you've burned, that you call yourself the adulterer, goes up now and becomes one with the glory cloud of God. Now, is that external truths or internal truths? Imagine, right? Imagine if that's all externals. If you just have the form without the substance. That's what's going on here. They don't have any idea, the Pharisees, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, because religious people never do. We confuse this, boom, right? I was baptized at like 11.45 in the morning. By 11.47, I was a Pharisee. <laughs> and I've been one, right, struggling against it ever since. And this is what happens. Oh, okay, I'm clean now. I'm clean. I'm set apart. And so I'm not going to have anything to do with anything that's unholy. And it's all out here. Right? So I get this under control. And I don't say the curse words anymore. That's not true. Um, and so you get this under control. And, you, and I, right? I never used to own a vest. Look at how nice I am now. <laughs> right? This is like, I didn't even own this when I, this is like my preacher vest now. Right? I got new clothes. Because this is how I'm supposed to look. Right? I thought, what does a preacher look like? Well, Dean always wore a vest, so I'm going to get a vest. 
Because, right, this is, this is what makes me a preacher, this bad boy right here. In fact, I put this on one day when it wasn't church, and, and Lewis came out of the bedroom and said, oh, we're going to church? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got the robes on. I don't We want to make it about externals. Think about that for a moment. We want to. Why? Because washing your hands is a lot easier than what you're thinking about. Controlling what you're thinking about, uh, no. Oh, washing my hands? Okay, cool. That's, that's, I am this religion over here, baby. Because that's easy. See, everyone? Look at all this. Look at this soap. Ooh, look how bubbly. I am so clean. Defilement. What is it that makes you defiled? He gathers everyone together and he tells them, it's not about externals. It's not. It's about internals. The source of defilement is external. It's, it, it's not external. It's not outside. It's inside. The implications that nothing external to men defiles them has far-reaching consequences for everybody. Practices, whatever practices you prefer, baptisms, communion, fellowship with the body of Christ, none of these justify you. None of them redeem you. None of them. Being in the temple with a slain goat that you've cleaned and put on, that you're not suddenly perfect. That doesn't make you perfect. Putting on the vest and going and sitting in the pew, sorry, chairs, that doesn't make you perfect. Well, I don't understand. I mean... Baptism, I had this external sign. It washed me outside, and, then, and, and so here I am. I'm with the people of God. Well, I'm justified. Look, here I am. I'm amongst the justified. Uh, that's all externals. There are things there that are true, but what all of that represents is what's going on inside of you and what's going on inside of the person sitting next to you. And thus, if, right, what's going on inside... Both of you is the same, then, okay, now we're talking externals. But we can't simply think, oh, we go to this building on Sunday, we sit next to one another, and therefore we're all justified. Right? He's got the vest on. I mean, we sang the songs. We had read for us this morning 1 Corinthians 10. Okay? And I'm just going to go back and cover a few highlights from that section. All were baptized into Moses. I'm going to set that aside for a moment. What does that mean? Well, I'm not going to explain what into Moses means. We're just going to focus on the fact that it says they're baptized. Okay, they're baptized, you're baptized. They went through the water just like you did, right? The, The waters parted. They went through in between, in the midst of the waters. You guys went down into the waters or the water was poured on your head, right? You all went through the water. You're all baptized, They ate and drank. We eat and drink. What did they eat and drink? Well, this was, you know, the Old Testament. Well, they ate and drank Jesus. What do you eat and drink? Oh, okay. All right. Where are you going with this, Paul? And yet, what were they? Some of them. Right? Let's be very clear. Some of them. What were some of them? They they were baptized. They ate and drank Jesus. I thought only real... Elect people ate and drank Jesus. Hmm. Some of them were idolaters. Some of them indulged in sexual immorality. Some of them were putting Christ to the test. Some of them were grumbling. Now, these things happened, okay? Not so that we could point and laugh. Not so that we could just, you know, have an interesting sermon illustration. 
These things happened so that, and they were written down for your instruction. It's not about externals, it's about internals. It's not about externals, it's about internals. Take heed lest you fall. Because temptation comes. Temptation comes, right? Jesus, at your baptism, he washes you clean from everything that's happened. There's a lot to be said about that. I'm assuming here all of us are baptized. All of us were brought from the darkness to the light. Temptation comes, though. And so some of the baptized people and some of the people who are eating and drinking Jesus, temptation comes, and what happens? They reveal themselves to still have a great deal of idolatry, to, to have a great deal of sexual immorality, a great deal of grumbling, a great deal of testing of God. Because the temptation came, and though they were provided with a way out of it, they didn't take it. Do you know why? Because they were looking to wash their hands. They, they were looking for externals. Whenever you look for externals to get out of the temptation to keep yourself clean, you're never going to be clean. You're going to, you're going to just get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and more, con, and more confused and more and more and more self-deluded. The temptation comes, there's one way out. One. And it's provided every time. No one in this room who ever came, succumbed to a temptation, none of you, ever, at any point when you were tempted, did you not have a way out of it? Never. This is why last week when we were talking about Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it's, this was the warning that Moses gave. And he tells them what the commandment is, and he says this, only take care. Keep your soul... Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I thought it was justified by faith alone. Right? I have faith in Jesus... He justifies me. He washes me clean. He tells me to go to this church every week and to show up and to stop saying swear words, right, and to love my wife. And I, if I do these things, everything's fine. No. It's, it has never been about that. It has never, ever been about that. Mo, Adam was put into the garden. What was he told? Guard and keep it. They're given the law, and what does it say? Take care. Guard and keep it. Diligently. Don't lose your soul. Don't forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Don't forget the things that you've seen so that they don't depart from your heart. Think about that. Think about that. Can anyone in this room save themselves? No. Right? But God so loved the world, what? He sent his son, he gave his son, so that we might have eternal life. Right? Okay, cool. All right, I believe that. Okay, now you're in. Now, do you, is, is what I'm saying that you keep yourself in? Ooh. 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 I remember at, at Providence, um, I, I understand the tension here. I, I, I was actually accused a number of times by students of teaching works righteousness. I, I was the only one, I think, in their life telling them, no, you can't do that, <laughs> which is why they were calling, saying that of me. Well, Mike, you're just Mr. Claus. They never called me Mike. Mr. Claus, you're just into works righteousness. Now, I'm saying don't touch that girl. What are you doing? Nobody else telling you this? I'm suddenly teaching you works righteousness because I'm telling you to obey the law? And, and, and I understand at times, right, even here in the midst of this, I'm going to give a warning even to myself. I know that sometimes what you don't, what, what can happen is preachers come up here and what they do, 
right? This is very common. Jesus said, you put, you're putting a load on them that you don't bear yourself. Who can stand up to this? You are here because of someone else. You remain here because of someone else. But we have to understand what that actually means. Right? I'm not, I'm not exchanging one works righteousness for another. They thought they could stay if they washed their hands. Right? I'm not just taking that away and saying, no, 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 you stay because you do X, Y, or Z. That's not at all what I'm going to be teaching today. But we have to understand that there is, right? You have been brought to Christ. You have been brought to him. He is the one who keeps you there. Does that mean there is nothing expected from you? That's what this is really about. Why are you letting your disciples defile their hands? Well, let's talk about defilement, Jesus says. You want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. I'm asking you now as Christians. Some of you have been Christians a long time. Is there any obligation for you? Does the grace that God has... He's given you grace. Tons of it. It's grace top to bottom, left to right. Does that... Are you required to do anything then? Is there any requirement of you? And if so, what? Is it washing hands? Jesus is attacking the the delusion that sinful men can attain to true purity before God through a scrupulous observance of cultic purity, whatever the cult is. And, And what you find these days is there's a lot of cults. Right? And they have very strict, very strict laws. And, and this is what religious people get tangled up. We mix all our faith and our grace and, and, our, and our personal interests. We, we start to get it all muddled up and, and confused together. And we, we like rules. Why? Why do we like rules so much? Well, we like rules, we like cultic things, because it's a lot easier than worrying about what I'm thinking about. Okay, it's not scrupulous observance of cultic purity, whether it's the Mosaic Law, whether it's a particular liturgy, whether it's a Bible reading plan or volunteer services or marriage or conservative values or child rearing or a paleo diet. Right? A paleo diet saves no one. Organic steel-cut oats or ethically sourced shade-grown coffee beans save no one. Think of all the things in this world right now that you could get all worked up about, about like, okay, I'm going to keep things perfectly. Right? I'm going to work really hard at getting this area in my life, all these rules. I'm going to work hard at this, and this is purity, right? This is my carbon footprint's going to be real small. The body percentage of fat's going to be real small. There is no salvation in essential oils. (laughs) I love essential oils, don't get me wrong. Okay, but all of these things are powerless to cleanse us from what's really going on. They can do nothing. But, and this is what Jesus is getting at. We come in and we think, okay, this is nice now because my old way of life was terrible. And what God wants is us to reform our lives. So let's now go on a reformation plan for everything. I, I'm going I'm to reform my I mean, think about it. I was a, I've come now, in the last 17 years, from absolute darkness to light. Well, if you go around, there's all kinds of rules in my life. I know sometimes it's hard to tell, but there are. There's budgets. There's workout regimes. 
I got to get up at a certain time. I got to go to bed at a certain time. I got to hang out with this kid on that day and this kid on that day. And I got to make sure that I take wifey out at some point. Right? There's all these things, all this reformation in my life. And if you would have seen 21-year-old me, right, I can't wait for my 25 reunion simply because no one's going to recognize me. I just can't wait to be asked like 50 times, or no, this was even my wife pointed out, I think she's going to be asked, who is she? Because people are going to actually think she was the one that went to school there. Right? I, you are completely different if you've been a Christian a while because all the externals change. And they should. They should. Jesus is not like, hey, you know, what, you know, it's not externals. That matters not at all. And so don't worry about it. That's not what he's saying. Whew, no. It's that we, we love the externals because it's easy. It's easier. It's easier. If, if all I got to do is be careful about what I touch and what I taste, that's a lot easier than thinking about what I have to think about. Because, okay, fine, everything out here is fine. Whew, good. No one knows how much of a fraud I am, so I can just sit here in my mind and have this whole other life separate from what everyone sees. And this is what we do. The generation led out of Egypt, the people who saw the salvation of God, the people who experienced the salvation of God, the people who God stood over and said, these are my people. And they said, yes, that is our God. How many of them died in the desert? For what? Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing the Lord. But I don't understand. They built a tabernacle. They had priests. They started to sacrifice animals. The first generation who had to go through all of this stuff that they were supposed to do is also the first generation who died for idolatry and sexual immorality and testing the Lord and grumbling. Think about that for a moment. The first people who were told exactly what they need to do to stay in with God are all died in the desert. Jesus doesn't want you to not think about externals, to abandon it altogether. He wants it to be crystal clear. Purity and defilement is not a matter of externals. It's a matter of internals. It it, it starts in your heart and works its way out. It starts in your heart and works its way out, not the other way around. It's impossible to go the other way around. The heart is Christ's beachhead from which he invades and conquers your whole life. Right? The allies could do nothing in Europe. They couldn't. They couldn't. Right? How can you take a shot at Hitler when you're 300,000 miles away? Right? The planes couldn't fly far enough to bomb Berlin. There were all kinds of, we can't get at the enemy because it's so far inside of Europe. What we need to do is get into Europe. If we get a foothold in Europe, then we can start to do something. So all this expense, all this money, all, this, all these people, like thousands of people even died practicing for D-Day. Most people don't know that. All this work and effort to just get a foothold in which to start to spread. And it wasn't overnight, was it? But they needed a beachhead. They needed a place to start. And this is what Jesus did. This is why we're so confused. It's either all or it's nothing. But no, Jesus came and he got a beachhead. He got a secure footing from which he cannot be removed. And from there, he works little by little by little by little to conquer all of you. But it starts inwardly, not outwardly. 
So Jesus has said this to everybody. It's not what you put in you. It's what's already in you. So something they go to a house, and there his buddies are, his closest followers, and they're sitting around going, okay, all right, we put up with this. We can tell there's like some kind of, you're like tricking us now, right? This is one of those things you say where you mean something else. <laughs> what are you talking about? They want to know, right? Because these are guys who are like, oh, externals. Okay, you said follow us, we're following you, so everything's great, right? Except we've been reading the story. Is everything great simply because they're externally conforming to following Jesus? They're there with him with the miracles. They're there with him when he's feeding 5,000, when he's casting out demons. Right? He's sending them out to preach in his name. And yet, what do we see? This is what it says, verse 17 and 19. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. A parable? Did anybody hear a parable? <laughs> I didn't either. He said to them, then you are also without understanding. Right? These guys, who else is conformed externally to what Jesus has been saying more than these guys? They've been following him and doing what he's doing. And he's saying, like, you're still not without, uh, you're still without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Now, this is one of those moments where I have a real problem with the way the Bible is translated. Because why, why would they change this, right? There's just this Victorianism, this sort of tea party, everything should be very clean, nothing should ever be sort of out of place. Because this is what it actually says, goes out through the latrine. That's what it actually says in Greek. Right? It just this vague, it goes out of the person. Like what? Through their sweat pores? Like I don't understand. Like you could have like they cry it out. I don't understand. <laughs> right? You, you put defilement in you and you just sit there and you weep it out. No, it goes out through the bathroom. Right? We're talking about bathroom stuff. And they and they translate it this way because <laughs> they like the, to scrub the Bible and, and take all of the real stuff out of it. He's like, you guys are worried about stuff that goes in you, and for it's there for a moment, and then you flush it. I'm talking about stuff that remains. I'm talking about stuff that was there when I started, stuff that's still there, stuff that we have to get out of you. You put, right, you got a dirty hand, you touch your mouth with it, it gets nowhere near your heart. There's no connecting point between my mouth and my heart. I can't, I can't get to my heart through my mouth. I can't get to my heart through my skin. The disciples at this point are proving the point. that, that This is why we read from Corinthians 10. The people closest to God are, are generally the most confused about him. Why? Why would I say such a thing? The people closest to God are the ones who are the most confused about him and what he is or isn't doing. Because they, because they, have, they know just enough to think they know everything. The people who get closer to God know a lot about God. And they know so much about God that they're convinced they know everything about God. Right? Because the worst lies always have a little truth mixed in. 
So when you know a ton about God and, and you're saying things about him, you, you, you're saying it from this place where you feel like you know everything. Well, oh, what's God like? Well, he's gracious and kind, merciful. Oh, okay. So let's talk about your Netflix queue, right? There it is again. Man, Mike cannot stop hammering Netflix. Well, I know, I know all about him. Well, you're living a total lie, though. Like, you're just saying things. Like, you don't know these things. You think you know because you can say it. But then you go, and you do X, you do Y, you do Z, and there's this huge inconsistency between what you're saying and what you're doing. Right? The Christians, well, we, we follow a God who loves his enemies. Watch us love our enemies. Whew. We love the poor. Right? He cared about the poor. He came from heaven to help the poor. See how we care about the Never mind. It's not about externals, guys. Right? We're Christians. We know Jesus came. He doesn't like Pharisees. He doesn't like Pharisees. So why, why, are, you, why are you bashing politicians that way? Right? Why are you telling kids what they can and cannot do? Why are you spanking children? Like Christians who think they know say all kinds of terrible things to one another because they think they know everything. A little bit, and we think we know it all. We're very confused. We don't like Pharisees, and yet we're Pharisees. We don't like hypocrites, and yet we're hypocrites. Right? Because it's, what's hypocrisy? Play acting. There the kids are. Okay, the kids are here. They're present at the dinner table with you. And you, and you remember, okay, I don't talk that way in front of the kids. I don't talk that way in front of the kids. Don't talk that way in front of the kids. I don't want them to talk that way. We're not going to talk that way. The kids are in bed. Now I'm going to talk however I want. Are you a person who loves real holiness? Right? If you'll talk that way when the kids aren't present, but you, and then you'll do it when they're not there, okay? Has anyone ever seen me yell at my wife? Has anyone in this room ever seen me like lose my temper and scream at her? Now, does that mean I've never done it? No, I, because I'm, I'm sure some of you have seen the, a look on my face. We've all known each other for quite a while where you know he's going to yell at her later. <laughs> right? But nobody's actually seen it. Now, why? Think about that. How many of you have actually seen other people in this room really, really duff it badly? Present in front of you. And so what even, what begins to happen? We, right? We believe the lies about one another. You present this lie, and I willingly believe it because it's a lot easier than dealing with you in any way, shape, or form. What does Jesus want to deal with? What does he want to deal with? He doesn't want to deal with mere externals. Because this is the thing. If you work on people's externals, you never get actually near the problem. I've, I've learned this from counseling, right? You, you sit down with someone and you're like, okay, behavioralism, let's, let's work on all the stuff that's going on because you have this issue. And this has happened to me. You work on all this stuff, and the per- person makes a huge turnaround. You're like, man, this is unbelievable. Three weeks later, they come into your office, and they need counseling about something else. And you're like, oh, wait. I- okay. Okay. Hmm. It sounds familiar. Okay. So you start to work on their life, and you get all these things in order. 
Two months go by, and you know what happens? They call you again. They're like, hey, man, <laughs> I need to sit down. I need to work on this with you. Now, part of this, right, this could actually be slowly someone being changed over time. That, that happens. But when the problem is, is, is the same, say it's really this idea of control, and, and, and you're doing all this external stuff in one area, and then they get it fixed, and then the, but the desire to control the world and their lives and their family, it, it just magnifies itself in other places. And, and sometimes if you're not paying attention, you're like, okay, we're not actually getting at the root problem here. Jesus doesn't want to just fix the externals. He wants to get down, right? And what is he? He's better than anybody. He understands what we need, and what we need is a heart transplant. Mark 7, 20 through 22. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Now, can anyone point to me here where he says, out of the heart of unregenerate man? Out of the heart of unbelievers. <laughs> he says, man. It's not what you're putting inside of you. See, there's, there's things inside of you. And, and then you, you think, okay, well, let's talk about this for a moment. So if I watch Game of Thrones or not, it's not a problem. Who cares if I watch Game of Thrones or not, right? Mike, it's not what you put inside you that makes you unclean. You just said that. Well, what you have to understand is that this kind of thing is like, a, like lightning. Does anyone notice, right? When I was a kid, I was taught lightning strikes the ground from the sky. But there's actually this weird thing that goes on where the electricity in the, in the clouds, the electricity on the earth, I don't know the name of any of these things. I'm just explaining it as like I would to my children. The electricity actually meets in the middle. It comes from up and it comes from down. Right? And, and when, you're, when you're watching Game of Thrones, that's not making you defiled. You're feeding something inside you that's already defiled. There's no way around it. Right? That, you cannot watch a movie and make yourself an adulterer. You're an adulterer and you watch certain movies. That's how it works. You're a fornicator and this is what I watch. Right? I, they're, they're, I have to be very careful because I really have always loved police shows. But they're not all good for you. <laughs> Right? No one should watch Special Victims Unit. This is a television show that gets into the worst, nastiest crime, and it's on, like, primetime television. And it's like, you know, I know real policemen who deal with that stuff, and this is horrible. This is not things that should be on the television. But why do people like shows about rapists? Think about that for a moment. Every character seems to be a rapist in the show that they're arresting. And, and is it because they want to show us that good triumphs over evil? Or is there a large part of the population, women who want to be raped and men who want to do some raping? And they're like, well, you know, that's inside of me, but I'd lose my wife and my job and my house and the respect of my neighbors. And so what I'm going to actually do is sit down at 8 o'clock every Thursday and watch a show about it. Right? That's not defiling you. You're feeding something inside of you that's there already. This is why God is very, this is why he cares about what goes inside. Because you're feeding something there that ought not to be there. Or you're feeding the thing that's there that ought to be there that ought to be triumphing over everything else. So renewing your mind is doing, you're feeding the right things and putting the wrong things to death. Think of all those things Paul says about putting to death the old self, putting to death, putting to death. 
right? You're slaying these things and you're, and you're enlivening these things, these virtues. But what ends up happening is disproportionately, generally, we're feeding the things we ought not to and we're not feeding the things that we should. And then we hear a sermon like this, we're like, thank goodness, he's finally going to make me feel better about the fact that it's not what I put inside of me that makes me unclean. Because I love Special Victims Unit. <laughs> it's such a bad show. It's unbelievable. There's an, act, there's an actor from that show who, who actually had to go into therapy and, and has gone out now, and he's not on the show anymore, but he's constantly going around trying to get people to stop watching it. Right? How many people watch Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones, and don't eat, no, don't Google it, please. Please don't Google it. What has Jesus been dealing with this whole book so far? If you go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, he's dealing with the Pharisees there. This is what it says. But they were silent. Remember, he asked them, is it better to heal or to kill on the Sabbath? And they were quiet. They stood there and they were quiet. They didn't know how to answer that question. Is it better to hurt or to help on the Sabbath? And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Mark 6, chapter verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This was the disciples. They saw him perform this miracle, and, and then they see him walk on water, but none of it's going down inside of them to feed the right things because the heart is hard. It's hard. He just, previously to this, in chapter 7, verse 6 and 7, and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. The reason he came, the thing he has been dealing with all along, is the heart. It's the heart. Now, there's plenty of people whose heart is in the right place, who go at this point, and they slay, and they say, okay, this sheep is me, it is an adulterer, and they chop it up like they're supposed to, and they put it on the altar, and, it, and, and they understand everything that's going on. I feel like I'm communing with God. I feel like that smoke. I'm one with the Lord God. There's people that are actually going through all this external stuff, right? And, and, and there are those where it's, it's an expression of what's really going, inside of, going on inside of them, or it's a lie about what's going on inside of them. Right? And who are the, who's the only one who can answer the question about what's going on inside of you? Here you all sit. How do I know? I don't know. Right? <laughs> I'm with Spurgeon. I wish that you guys just had like a birthmark on the back of your neck so I could tell. It would, be, it would streamline a lot of things. <laughs> but we're not born with birthmarks. Right? When we come up out of the baptismal fount, there's not suddenly like a little, like a, it'd be nice if there was like a thing on our head that just was like, oh, okay, 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 oh, okay, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> now, who is the only one who can tell what's going on inside of your hearts? Now, how many of you are tempted right now, oh, he, he's, I'm the one who knows? How many of you thought that was the answer? When I ask that question, who's the only person who really knows what's going on inside of you, how many of us have the impulse to say, well, oh, he's talking about me now. This is now the part where I start to focus on myself. Whoo! That was a test. <laughs> Most of us failed. Right? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. There's a reason that 
certain hints through my past come and haunt me about works righteousness. Because I like talking about getting, you're getting your life in order. My goodness, stop that, do this. It's my favorite counseling comedic video I've ever seen where the guy says, I'll, I'll fix whatever problem you have for five bucks. So the lady's like, okay. So she gives him the five bucks. He's sitting in his office and he says, okay, tell me what's going on. So they, she starts to explain what's going on and he lets her talk for a few minutes and then he just says, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. Right? And, and like, <laughs> it, when you boil it down, that would be a lot, that would be super easy. Just stop doing that. Start doing that. It's not us, though. It's not us who know what's going on inside of our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Wait, I thought Satan was deceitful above all. Oh, my heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is desperately sick. It is deceitful. I, I, I'm not here to give you a trowel. I'm not here to give you a screwdriver so that you can lay down on the table and start working on your heart because you will rip out things you ought not. <laughs> right? The metaphor is true. You will die. You will spiritually die if that's what you do. I'm going to sit down right here and I'm going to give myself some heart surgery. Well, your funeral sermon, I guess I'll start on it because you're going to die that way, right? Just like in real life, if I tried to give myself heart surgery, I would die. Psalm 44:21. God knows the secrets of the heart. God knows the secrets of the heart. He knows. This is why he, he guys, guys, he's saying, Everybody, come together. This is important. I want everyone to hear this. It's not what you put inside of you that's making you unclean. It's just making the problem worse. What's inside of you is what's making you unclean. Right? And do the Pharisees know what's going on inside of themselves? Do the disciples? Like Paul talks about this. Paul later has the Holy Spirit. This, you always got to give these guys a bit of the benefit of the doubt because they don't yet have the Spirit, these disciples. But later, Paul has it, and what does he say? Well, I, I do the thing I hate. I hate the thing I do. Does he sound like a guy, Paul, who knows his own heart? No, in Corinthians it says, I don't even judge myself. Think about that. I don't even judge myself. I am not here to hand out mirrors. Say, okay, everybody, take a hard look in this mirror here. And here's a screwdriver and a hammer. Go to work on the heart. God alone knows what's inside. God alone. He knows what's going on inside of you. I have all of this list, descriptions of every one of these sins, but I'm not going to do that. I'll email that out on Wednesday. I go through every one of these sins and explain it. I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of them. I thought I would have time. Because what is the underlying thing here? What is the big picture thing that Jesus is trying to say? What confuses us? We think, okay, it's about external, so we're going to do that. Or, okay, there are wicked things inside of me, so I'm going to get them out. How many of you guys have tried very religious plans, very Christ-focused plans, where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount until all the rocks just come flying out of my heart. 
Right? I was, I think there was one time where I was like, I forget what book it was. I think it was Deuteronomy. I was like, I'm going to read this. I'm just going to keep reading this through and through and through and through and through until I memorize it and I stop sinning. <laughs> I mean, it says right there, choose today, life or death. Well, I mean, how could I ever choose anything but life? I know my heart. I know what's in there. I need Jesus real bad. And so I'm always going to choose life because I know what's inside of me. And how long did I last? Right? This is what I'm saying. Three minutes after I was baptized, I was like, give me my Pharisee badge. <laughs> right, let's go back and let's look at let's let's look at the gospel. What is it? Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. We're gonna just walk through the gospel now, and we're gonna find out, right? Jesus knows what's in our hearts. So so what's the plan then? What's the plan? He knows you don't. It's in you. There it is. He knows it. You don't know what to call it. You don't know what to do with it. You hardly know yourself. What's the plan? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. This is what God says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Or I will re- yeah. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, right? Every time you're tempted, he gives you the way out. He's the one who makes it so that you can obey. It's not like suddenly the temptation comes to lie and you remember the commandment and you say, I'm not going to lie. Think about this for a moment. The temptation comes. There's a way out. There's a way to walk in the light. There's a way to to obey the law of God. This is the plan of redemption. This is what he wants to do. He wants to wash you. He wants to give you heart surgery. He wants to take you from death to life. The gift of the Holy Spirit will cause you to walk by the statutes of God. We can put away all the filth of our former lives, all that darkness and sin, because of Jesus. That was the plan. Send my son and then they'll be clean. Send my son, they'll have a new spirit. Send my son and they will obey. Jesus didn't come to just reteach us the law and get it straight this time because Moses screwed it up. That's not what happened. (laughs) I like to think that's what happened because I, I like to be a Pharisee because it's a lot easier to wash my hands. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. No one can reach their hand out and take it. No one. Equality with God is not something to be grasped. Adam thought it was. All I got to do is reach up. The snake says so. All I got to do is take that apple and eat it, and I will be like God. We hear what Jesus says. Seems like he makes it very much simpler than the old way. And so we still think it's something to be grasped. Equality with God is not something to be grasped. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself, and he obeyed the Lord unto death. 
And then who raised him? Right? That's what it goes on to say in Philippians. Who raised him? It was the Father who lifted him up. God, equality with God is not something to be grasped. You, right? But we want it, don't we? And he offers it to us. And so what do you have to do? You have to be empty. Obey unto death. What does that mean? That means die on your cross. Well, so I lift myself up, like I climb up on the cross, and that's how I'm... No, 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 no. You humble yourself, and you're emptied, and you're nothing, and you put yourself to death. And who raises you? Who raises you? What is godliness? I, this is a verse I want you all to look at. I want you to write it like on a little piece of paper and stick it to the fridge. This is the thing that keeps us from being Pharisees. This is the thing that if we really pondered what this meant, we would stop trying so hard and we would rest. We would stop trying so hard and we would just be what we are. We would stop trying so hard and when the temptations come, we would know the way out. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now let's go back and look at that again. Godliness is what? Washing my hands, controlling my thoughts, Godliness is a list of things to do. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Think about what this is saying. What is godliness? What is godliness? We all want it desperately to be something that we can go out and do. But it's a person. <laughs> it's called Christology. When you look it up in a, in a systematic theology, these are all the doctrines. The incarnation the resurrection, the ascension. What is godliness? It's not what you do. It's not what you do. It's Jesus. Jesus is godliness. Whenever you want, want it to be a list of things to do, stop, turn, think. Godliness isn't anything I can do. Godliness is something that he did for me. He did it. He came in the flesh. He died on the cross. He was vindicated. He was raised. He rules and reigns. Do I want out of this right now? Do I want out of this temptation? It's Jesus. Do I want to love my wife? Jesus. Do I want to, right? Do I want to get all of this stuff that's in my heart out? Jesus is what you need more of. For we ourselves, it says in Titus chapter 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works done by us, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We were saved, not by anything that we did. We remain, not by anything that we do. 
He came. And, and he took down every barrier between you and God. Every one. He, he brought you into the very, right? Into himself. You are one with him. And he, by the Spirit, is in your heart. Now, are you going to f- feed that? Are you going to feed that connection? Are you going to feed that portion of you from where he, right? You're going to give him more and more and more. He's trying to work his way out to the edges of every aspect of your life. And what you do is you surrender more and you surrender more and you surrender more. Not, I'm going to hold on, I'm going to hold on, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. I, but I love this. I love watching this TV show. Well, why is that? Right? This is what he does. He comes, he says, why do you like that and not this? Well, inside of you is fornication. Inside of you is adultery. Inside of you is, oh, is that what it's called that's inside of me? Okay. I see it now. I see, I do this, and I see where it comes from. And so I repent of that. Save me. Oh, here it comes. I see the temptation coming. Jesus, you know, you know that I'm a fornicator. And if you put before me something in which I can fornicate with, I'll do it. And so unless you get me out of this, I have no hope. And what do you find? Every time you stand. Every time. Now, if you try to be, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I'm going to stand in the face of this temptation by getting rid of my computer. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of you should. Right? I've had that, I've done that for people because that helps. But ultimately what I have to tell them is like, listen, I can, I can lead you up into the woods and we'll build a hut. There'll be nobody. And you'll still spiritually die from the same sin unless you run to him. Unless he's the way out. You want godliness some other way. There is no other way. Right? He's there in your heart. And there are things there that he's, he's in there and he's jammed up. It's like he's trying to find some space. He's like, could you move some things out of the way? Like, well, I don't know. I don't know what any of this is called. Well, that one's called fornication, buddy. Oh, oh, okay. So let me get that rock out of the way then. I confess this fornication. Parable. Remember? They asked, what about this Parable. How do we understand all the parables? What was the key parable? He's planting seeds, but what eats the seed? What gets in the way of the seeds? Thorns get in the way. Persecutions get in the way. The cares of the world get in the way. All that stuff that's in your heart gets in the way. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. He is in your heart. He wants to tell you what's there that's choking out the seed. He wants to tell you what it's called. And he gives you a list of things here. What's inside of you is envy. What's inside of you is slander. What's inside of you is lies. And when you say, yes, that is what's inside of me. God, I'm a sinner. I can do, I can do nothing. Please deliver me from this body of death. Done. He's the way out. He's the godliness. Now, how, how many of us need this? Right? I, I am, there are areas in my life I am so sick of trying. I am so sick of hauling the, ro- the log up the hill every day. Right? I get on there and I'm like, okay, it's a new day. 
I'm going to be so much better than yesterday. And I turn the treadmill up to like 35. And then my legs go flying off the back of me. And I fall. And look at that. Pride comes before the fall. He, there, there are things inside of you that you are struggling with. And listen, I understand. I understand. We're not going to stand up and start going around the room and say, hello, I am such and such, and I am a... <laughs> and we're not going to do that. Right? And you think you know what's going on inside of you, and you don't. He does. So come to him. He knows what it's called, so come to him and call it what he calls it. Right? He, he is the one who can lift the impossibly heavy rock. Right? There's, there's stones in the soil. He, he wants you to break up the fallow ground, and he is the one that will do it. And he is the one that will water the seed right, and pour light on the seed, and the seed will grow up inside of you. What, what, what does the Holy Spirit do? What are the fruit of the Spirit? How do all of those things magically get inside of you? Well, it's this process. Not where you're doing anything yourself, but where you're turning to him and turning to him and turning to him and turning to him. Calling what's inside of you what he calls it. Confessing it. Repenting of it. And may this, this is now the thing. In our hearts, there are lots of things that ought not to be. But Jesus is there. He's there. He is your godliness. And if you want more of that, feed that. Stop feeding it other things. Because you're feeding the things that ought not to be there. Lots of external food. And it's not making you defiled. The stuff that is defiling you is there, and you just won't put it to death. Come to him and he will. This is my prayer always for all of us, is that he would ruthlessly burn our kingdoms to the ground, that he would take all of our idols out and shoot them in the head right in front of us so we can see them die. We can feel like, I mean, do you know what that was like when the GIs came (laughs) to the concentration camps? And they, they didn't feel liberated. Right? The guards all actually ran away. And here's all these people inside these concentration camps, and they just stayed in their huts. They didn't know what to do. They were terrified. Once the GIs came, once they knew that the thing holding them in bondage was really gone, then they began to feel freedom. And that's what we need. But we don't know what to call it ourselves. And we have no power to get it out. Come to Jesus Christ. Not just today when everyone can see you. Stop struggling with what's going on inside of you. And come to him, and he will give you rest. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord God, that you will finish the work that you began inside of us. I pray, Lord, for all of us here that we would, you would give us mercy and grace, that we would stop struggling, that we would stop uh, carrying such heavy loads and heavy burdens, that we would stop trying to save ourselves and justify ourselves, that we would stop excusing ourselves, that we would stop trying to figure it out. We pray, Lord God, that we would come and that we would lie down, or lay our whole body before you, our whole mind before you, our whole spirit, our, all of our heart, that you, you, Lord, our righteousness, our godliness, would, would cleanse us and, w- and would comfort us and will strengthen us. We need you, and without you, we have nothing. And may we all see it, and may we all experience it. And amen.